Tonight on the show, we're going to be hearing from David Harrison. This is going to be part two of my interview where David and I were face-to-face on this one. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to interview somebody face-to-face. And today we're going to be talking about theistic evolution. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back, guys. So yeah, today is going to be part two. David Harrison, uh, his website, Spark Light Planet. He's also going to be talking about uh, an up-and-coming book that he wrote. It's finished. It's published. And uh, so you're you're going to want to hear about that. Uh, But yeah, today we're going to continue on talking about this idea of theistic evolution. So we're just going to pick right back up where we left off last week. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Yeah, and going back to really theistic evolution, I these are kind of questions I have for them. Is is death natural in the way God meant and purposed for humanity, um, or is death unnatural? Because in, in 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 naturalistic progressive evolution, death is natural. It's, it's the very way natural. things are supposed to be. Uh huh. Um, but in the supernatural creation view, death is unnatural. It's unnatural to the planet to humanity. Um, so that's a that's an interesting question. Is is the universe and earth and life the result of great power or great time? Huh. Because if God has to use great time, because we can only understand it to be done that way, mm-hmm. is that lessening? You know, he's powerful, but, you know, it, it, not it, that. So that that's to me is an interesting question. And does human observation or sight merit the trust and faith in it to overbalance the evidence of supernatural origins to me is an interesting right. question and then for me i just want to emphasize this for my you know people who are who are really exploring this and think it's a stumbling block block whether you're old earth creation or young earth creation um throwing up this age as, as a stumbling block um i think the war real war of worldviews is between naturalist materialism atheism and supernaturalism so that's where I'm going to fight and die. Um, I there I have a lot of a lot in common with old earth creationists um, and some like supernatural creation of Adam and Eve, and some of them would hold to a worldwide flood. Some of them wouldn't. Um, but we'll get into um, you know later in Genesis. That's where um, definitely theistic evolution says local flood only, um, and the and they have. To me, this is this is where you we can have the creation argument and, and go into the Bible is what does the Bible say about when of creations and how long? There's more of a rock solid argument in the New Testament for global destruction, um, and the verses on that are, are pretty solid. Um, even if you if you say you know the whole world is meaning their local world, um, not globe, but then you, when you read the New Testament passages. It's talking about only eight were saved, and everyone else perished. That's not true. If it's a local flood, that would be a lie. That's a lie. Um, and this is actually 
I have some great theologian people I follow. Um, they take a supernatural view of the Genesis 6 incursion. Mm-hmm. So the sons of God, supernatural beings, yeah. came down, cohabitated, had these hybrid kids, Nephilim. Um, a local flood's not going to mess with them. You're a supernatural hybrid being. You're just you, going to swim out of a local flood. Well, and you see um, a rainstorm coming, well, you, yeah, you yeah. leave town. And, and, and you have to ask the question, how many people die from local floods today? Not many. I mean, even ancient humans are pretty smart when it comes to floods. You climb to higher ground. Well, not um, only that. You so, know what it, so, so the question of why, you know, how could we have giants after the flood? If the flood was just local, we should have gobs of giants after the flood. Not just even a small tribe in Canaan. But giants should be all over the world because they're never the, the flood didn't wipe out any Nephilim. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. it does. It so does. So that to me is is that for those who believe in the supernatural incursion and the Nephilim stuff, but don't believe in a global flood, I think there are some interesting questions for in, in that realm. So you know, and what I would say to that too is uh, water tends to seek lower ground. Right? Yeah. It runs downhill. Well, how can you have the floodwaters covering the highest mountains and not be I mean, you almost yeah. have this image of local floods never like cover. this supernatural, you know, glass. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we've got our little local flood filled yeah. with water and everything around is, is bone dry. Otherwise the water would just yeah. and you wouldn't have it covering the highest mountains. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the New Testament is very clear on on the saving of of birds and you know why would he need to you know take birds and and all these different things (laughs) why Um, would he have to take any animals i mean really if he had a little rowboat and uh, if there happened to have been a a few animals nearby that only lived in that one area they could hop in and other than that he would be all right and, and and this is after the flood god's covenant with noah i find this very interesting this is uh verses 21 he says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, daylight shall not cease. Now, he didn't strike down every living creature if it was a local flood. Right. I mean, Unless all the animals of the world lived in this one little area. Yeah, yeah. So which doesn't make, that yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. Some of the New Testament, um, this is Luke 17. Verses 26 and 27. Um, I'll start with 27. It says, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. No, it didn't. It just... If it was local, it didn't destroy all of evil humanity. Was evil localized in just the Mediterranean area or were all of humanity evil? Just that area. And, and it says, <laughs> and, and the, the Old Testament says violence, violence actually seeped into creation. Like he's like, I'm going to destroy the animals too because they're getting bad. This this and 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 this is something that I found interesting is how many judgments upon the earth were there before the flood? Well, they should just be that. Well, gosh, yeah. Let me think on that. Well, we had the the judgment of sin. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. Especially. Adam and Eve. Um, When's the second time the earth is cursed? As far as I can remember, gosh, we just have the flood. Cain. So, okay, but that wasn't the earth. That was just Cain. No. It says, because of you, the ground is cursed. So let me... Mm. 
Okay. Pull it up. All right. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is interesting because, um, let me see if I have this. So this is, um, chapter four verses at nine through 10. Let me see if I can find that. Okay. Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has been opened up, um, to receive your brother's, um, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. Okay. So, so is this just, you know, wherever Cain went, the earth was cursed or, you know, is this something that, that the first murder of an imager of God, does that bring essentially another curse upon the earth or the ground? Um, so that that is that's kind of interesting. Um, and then, you know, the in in the days of Noah, it talks about you know the violence was upon the earth and stuff like that. So so here's something interesting: is in the fossil record we have um, some of the you know very microscopic creatures and stuff being mm-hmm. fossilized mm-hmm. and then we have the cambrian explosion yep so could that first the fall have actually kind of shook creation and <clears throat> it's these not everything dies but it like it's almost like a shock wave goes through creation and you have these little diatoms and little tiny creatures falling into the sediment and getting fossilized and there you get your cretaceous layer and you get your your first kind of layer and then maybe with cain um before the flood were there earthquakes were there whether it was basically what I'm trying to get at is before the flood cataclysm, do we have any more, any other cataclysms? It's quite possible. You know, was the earth, you know, kind of getting ready for the flood thing Were there some earthquakes, you know, was, was there tectonic activity going on before the actual flood happened? That means you could have hundreds of years of some sedimentary deposits going on before the flood where you have that bearing of the, of the the initial body types kind of thing so so that's it's just a fascinating way to look at it the fossil record is not just the flood event there might have been some catastrophism and and some some stuff going on before the flood because of the earth go, falling into into that non-sustained state essentially of the creator so that to me is is kind of fascinating when we look at fossil record stuff mm. That's a bit of a rabbit trail. Yeah, we like rabbit trails. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what are the other things we not talked about? Um, you know, going back to uh, the day-age theory, a couple other things I want to just throw in there. Um, in context, when you look at the days of creation, it's, it, it, it's yes, yom, day, could mean a longer period of time. It could. Uh, but most of the time it shows up in the Bible, it means a 24-hour day. Um, and every time it shows up in the Bible with a number association associated with it, so first, second, third, fourth, fifth, it's always a day. Whenever it's used with the words evening or morning, uh, it always means a 24-hour day. And so when you read it in context, there was evening, there was morning, the, which is definite article, the first day, the second day, the third day. Uh, it's kind of hard to make those days longer 
It's really hard to make that text say anything other than what it really says. If you just read it at face value, nobody's going to come to the table and say, well, those those really are long periods of time. Nobody will read that and think that. You have to read it into the text. You have to first have a pre-existing bias, a worldview, and then impose it upon the text. Um, you know, something else is kind of fun to think about too. Uh, uh, you know, according to Genesis 1, plants were created on the third day, birds on the fifth day, insects on the sixth day, um, but we're talking about plants having to survive, uh, you know, 48 to 72 hours without the birds and the bees. Well, if you have long epochs, those plants have nothing to pollinate them for millions and millions of years. You also have plants sitting in the dark, (laughs) which is is also a problem. Yeah, this is where I go back to um, when Jesus acts supernaturally, uh, you see fully formed functioning systems mm-hmm. or acts. The water's all the way wine. The ear's all the way healed. And so um, Adam and Eve are all the way human, um, fully formed and functioning. Was the, Were the ecosystems fully formed and functioning? Um, and t- uh, size is relative, essentially, to God. So was the cosmos fully formed and functioning? Um so we know at least with earth and ecosystems and geosystems, there's such intricacy and interconnection. Yes. Uh-huh. That, mm-hmm. that even your old earth creationists would be like, that was supernaturally put together um, because you can't get it by progressive chance steps. You That's can't right. get ecosystems by progressive chance steps. No. Um, and so, um, so that's why even like an old earth creationist would be like, that was supernatural <laughs> because the, even the science doesn't fit that. Um, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, when I was watching a Hugh Ross debate, he, he get, and I don't have these, so, um, you can do your own research on this. He gave some examples of day used with, with a number in the old Testament, um, referring to an epoch or an age of time. Hmm. And I was like, hmm. So, I have to do some more research on, on some of that too. I'll look into uh, that too. Yeah. And I'll send you the, the, the link to that debate I watched. Um, and, and here's the thing is guys, we do this part time because we're enthusiasts of the Bible. We love exploring this stuff. Um, I learn a lot doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's science. Science is the exploration of God's word and world. And um, so uh, but these guys get to do it full time. <laughs> so so that's why I'm like, I don't do too many debates because I have kids crawling all over me preparing for this stuff. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, Ken Ham and, and Hugh Ross don't have that. <laughs> they oh, do no, this, this, this is what they live and yeah. they breathe. Yeah. And not only that, well, as far as my ministry is, is concerned, I'm, I'm jumping from one subject to the next. I'm yeah. studying all these different worldviews. The apologetics. The, yeah, that's great. right. Yeah. The cults, occult. Bible difficulties. I'm I'm kind of all over it, but um, I'm going to look up what Hugh Ross said there concerning a number associated with the yeah, day. It's, it's fascinating. I, it's interesting. I yeah. have a feeling there's going to be somewhere in there a stretch because I've heard so many different creation speakers mm-hmm. say there is no instances of Yom in conjunction with a number, meaning anything other than a day. So yeah. I feel like there's going to be a stretch there. I'm going to look into that and I'm going to see <laughs> if I can't have that at least. Okay, 
You guys watching the video, sorry, you're out of luck. You're going to have to look it up. Or you can look into my podcast because my podcast, at the end, I will put an addendum and I'll make sure I address that issue. Yeah. So, And also my notes from our talk will be on that as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so you can go into my notes and see where I'm getting some of these. Um, and that's going to be on my website, right? Yeah. yeah and then we can put it on yours too. It yeah, doesn't really matter. Be, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I want to read two more verses on Noah and the flood, just from the New Testament. These are fascinating. Uh, this is 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. Um, so because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, those were, in, this is, he's likening it to baptism. So, so he's saying only eight persons were brought safely through the water. But if that was local, Many more people survived that local flood. Um, that and, and they all is, traveled to that one plot of land for the flood. Yeah, this is Second Peter two five. And if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, um, he brought through the flood, um, which the Greek word is kataklusmos, which is to inundate upon the world of the ungodly. Um, and then this is cool. This is um, again in Second Peter three five through seven. Um, and this is the mockers. They will say, because they want to forget that long ago the heavens and the earth were, were made by God, um, made at God's command, supernatural, God's command. And the earth came out of the waters and was made in the waters. Later it was destroyed by the waters of a mighty flood. But God has commanded that this present heaven and earth to remain until the day of judgment. Then they will be set on fire and the God. Um, yeah, they will be set on fire and the ungodly people will be destroyed. So if we're talking about a local event, um, it's referring to the globe here when it came in and out of the waters. That happened to the whole globe. It's, it's, you mean the flat earth? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We're not going there today. <laughs> Check out his other podcasts on that. Right. Um, but yeah, the earth came in and out of the waters. It's talking about the globe, not just a local area. Mm -hmm. um, and then it says it was destroyed by the waters of a mighty flood. A mighty local flood, um, and then here's the thing: is it, the the Noah's flood is all about God's judgment and rescue of humanity. Correct, and it's alluded to the second coming of Christ is tied closely with it. Is the second coming of Christ local? Is right. it only a judgment of a few wicked people locally? What or about is it a global event? Um, and that's I mean, if, if the new if the Old Testament and New Testament writers are like local flood guys. It's not a strong argument for God's global coming and global judgment of people at the end. No, it's it, not. It falls pretty flat. <clears throat> um, so, so the New Testament writers seem to really be taking this as a not a local world event, but a global event, um, and likening it to the coming of Christ, which will deal with all evil, right, the world over, um, and um, the whole world will be remade. And destroyed mm -hmm. in fire, um, right, right, not right. Not just a local part of it, um, and so that to me is is also a challenge for for any theistic evolutionist or even old Earth creationist who denies a, a global cataclys cataclysmic kind of event. Mm -hmm. um, just New Testament writers seem to make pretty clear um, that they thought 
you know, inspired. And, and these are inspired writers. Yeah. This is the yeah. Holy Spirit speaking. Yeah. So, uh, so in, and maybe maybe there's arguments against this, but I just haven't heard them. Um, you know, and with, I'm not sure where a person verses. could go with so, that. It, like, yeah. okay, Second Peter chapter three verses three through six. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, Mm -hmm. all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay. A a little side note there. You can have this one for free. Uh, Peter here is talking about the beginning of creation. (laughs) And for this... They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And then he goes on to talk. I mean, he's comparing this to the end times judgment. Um, I Actually, I did not copy that entire scripture. Uh, it's somewhere else in my notes. Yeah. And, and but, it's, it's, I mean... You even get this, like we talked about after the flood, he says, you know, I've swore the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, you know, so there's not going to be a local flood in this area ever again. Right. That's basically what that would have to mean. Um, and then later in, in, um, uh, in verse nine of the next chapter, it says, so the waters will never flood the earth again, which is interesting. Um, it's actually interesting in Job, I'll try to find this passage, um, but Job's friends are talking and they're referring and said, you know, when God's patience waited, he actually, um, here it is. So this is Ephaz, Job's friend speaking in Job twenty-two fifteen. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, who are cut down before their time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood? Who said unto God, depart from us. What can the Almighty do to us <laughs> or them? Yeah. So That's even one in thing Job 22, 15, it, it was probably alluding to a global flood. Uh-huh. You find this in the Psalms as well, um, which this is, they're talking about the power of God. And this is just where I love the whole Bible on this. Um, this is Psalm 29, verse 10. Jehovah, um, and this is... Two different translations. Jehovah sits as king at the flood. The word is Malabu or Mabu, Mabu, um, Hebrew's fun. Um, but it's, <laughs> Hebrew it's that expert, inundation. David Jehovah Harrison. sits as king forever. Um, or the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So they're, uh, you know, Jehovah's, and, and I'm like, is this the flood of Noah they're talking about? In Psalm 29, you know, it's very interesting. If he's if it's just talking about local floods, Jehovah sits as Lord over the local floods. Again, how powerful is Jehovah? It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It completely diminishes uh, God and what He's saying about this flood and also this end time judgment. Uh, in fact, here's the verse I was not able to say earlier because I didn't copy it into my notes. Second mm-hmm. Peter chapter three verse seven. But the heavens and the earth. Or, <laughs> Let me try that again. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So are we to conclude that this judgment again in the end times, this judgment of fire is going to be local or is it going to be worldwide? Mm -hmm. Why would God even take the time 
to uh, warn us in the Bible about a local fiery judgment. Not only that, but when you look at the promise of this rainbow and the, the, the promise to never flood the world again, would that not also, wouldn't that also make God a liar? If God has flooded locally mm-hmm. all over the world, there's been some pretty nasty local floods. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a few on smaller scales uh, where a lot of people died, but I've watched, you know, around the world where, where we'll, you know, there'll be instances of tsunamis and other various types of floods and they are nasty and a lot of people die. That makes God out to be a liar to say that the flood in Genesis 7 was nothing but a local flood. Yeah. And one more note on this, this was a counter argument from the old earth creationists is there's so much biological material buried in the sedimentary layers of earth that it couldn't have been from one like kind of massive event. But what they're doing is they're taking the amount of biomaterial the earth currently sustains mm-hmm. and saying there's, there's not enough. You would, you'd have to have, you know, millions of years of biomaterial cover, you know, right. that process. Cause they're like, there's too much biomaterial. But here's the thing is, is the pre-flood earth was not the same as this earth. If you're a catastrophist, mm-hmm. um, Today on our planet, we have so much desert. Um, we have massive deserts. Middle of America is a desert. <laughs> Utah, you know, right. through that stretch there. Um, but if you have a super lush planet um, and small water, small lakes, small seas, but most of the planet is vegetation, is land, you've got... Um, I heard one evolutionist say we need three times the biomaterial. That's what's buried is what we have today. Um, with the amount of landform we would have had with a global continent, mm-hmm. more massive and different atmospheric. So you have much more biomass than you do have enough biomass to be buried in, in a, um, and the flood's not just like one, you know, it's, it's a whole Water's year going over here, year it's coming back. washing around and ripping stuff up and redepositing it <clears throat> and stuff like that. Um, and if, if you want, um, an interesting resource on just kind of some some flood stuff. Uh, Genesis Week with Ian Juby. Yeah, um, yeah. He goes into some really interesting details, um, and uh, he has a video out. You can visit his website called Footsteps of the Condemned, where he goes in and shows how you know, like the flood came in, and you've got dinosaur tracks. Yeah, um, and then you have a human following them, quite possibly, and um, even just the dinosaur tracks. Um, they get buoyed up by water. Yeah, and, and so a lot of them you don't even see the tail because the yeah. tail's floating. Yeah, and so so how these trackways are made in inundation environments back and forth, you know, and you have mm-hmm. a, you have a wave comes in that buries those tracks rapidly. Otherwise, they'd be eroded if they're sitting there for thousands of years and stuff like that. So he has some very cool information on on just um, kind of thinking more about this this flood wasn't just and we're done <laughs> you know it's it's very uh uh re-earth shaping catastrophic event and and I, that's a, one reason um i'm a supernaturalist as well as there's i see much more evidence for catastrophism in yeah. geology than mm-hmm. gradualism or uniformitarianism um sure there's times between catastrophisms where not a whole lot happens sure um is that 
billions of years between that, I would say there's yep. some pretty good arguments against that um, with global <clears throat> global sedimentary deposits and, and very little or no erosion between. Yeah, and, and by global, there are sedimentary, there are sedimentary, uh, or rather, I'll just say strata mm-hmm. that span the distance of a continent. Okay. Yeah. In other words, in order for that to lay down, you had to have. Continents. Yeah, there yeah. are cross continent strata. Yeah. In order to lay that down, you have to have that entire area underwater. Yeah. Okay, that, <laughs> that requires. A global flood, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, oh, okay, the Cretaceous layer, that actually spans the globe from what I understand. Yeah. That means yeah, at one so, point, the entire world was underwater. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and if you're like, well, there, there could never be a global flood on Earth. Well, scientists are now saying there was a flood on Mars. Mars was almost covered in water at one time. Um, and they're just there's just some recent papers coming out on that water formations on Mars um, and stuff. And um, that's fascinating. So, of course, we have a global flood on Mars, but we couldn't have one on Earth. <laughs> so, so um, it just gets too close yeah. to the Bible. We can't have that. Yeah. I want to move on to a couple more biblical arguments um, or arguments of theistic or, or old Earth um, creation. Sure. Um, so one that comes up is you have two revelations of nature. The, spe- the, the specific uh, revelation of the Bible, language, words, God's communicating in, in what I call human language to us. Um, then they say nature is a book. But um, Spike Becerris, um, I, th- I think it was him, I have this referenced in, in my blog, Did Jesus um, Turn? <laughs> let me see. Let me get this right when I reference it. So you're referring to the uh, natural theology. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just did a blog. Did Jesus create old wine? And I referenced the blog about the book of nature. Mm-hmm. Nature is not a book. Um, nature is nature, and we can interpret it in different ways. It's not specific like mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. revelation of God to us in the Bible. And we apply our own philosophy to yes. those interpretations. Yes. So if you said nature is a book, then evolutionists get it right all the time. And, and so, and so that's and even a theistic evolutionist wouldn't always agree with. A natural progressive evolutionist interpretation of of everything from from nature. So, one example of how we get it wrong: um, the coelacanth invalidates the fossil record. Um, so the coelacanth disappears about seventy million, eighty years ago, um, and is assumed extinct. It's not found yeah. in the successive yeah, so strata going up. It's that, just totally absent, yeah. and then boom! All of a sudden, here it is, and it's alive. Yeah. So. That means all the fossil record shows you is when a creature was fossilized, not how long it lived before that and not how long it lived after that. Correct. And so that, that to me, um, invalidates the current interpretation of the fossil record. Mm-hmm. And it also points to that dinosaurs may not have gone extinct 70 million years ago just because that's when they're last fossilized in that time scale, mm-hmm. which I don't agree with that time scale. But, but um that's so it means that humans and dinosaurs could have coexisted according to the fossil record mm-hmm. because absence of of that fossil doesn't mean absence from the rec- from life absolutely um and so that's just one area where we read that book of nature <clears throat> and get it wrong <laughs> and um so 
so that's that's the the book of nature kind of thing doesn't hold up um another one is the genealogies okay so this is so what do theistic evolution do with the genealogies um and especially what's called the chronogenealogies, because we have different genealogies given in the Bible, but there's only one given with ages. Right. This dude uh-huh. had his son. Um, it was so, Genesis five, and I think Genesis eleven has some more of them. Yeah. And they and they and they you can connect Adam all the way to Abraham, mm-hmm. and from Abraham's time, we can actually stake Abraham down at a at a particular time period, yeah. and now we have a kind of an idea of how old the earth is. Yeah. So, so what do theistic evolution, old earth creationists do with the genealogies? They do, they do a couple things with them. Um, they say there's gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, they reference another place where there's a genealogy and there's a guy and there's several guys between him and a, another reference person. Um, and the challenge with that is, is you can have those guys um, as other sons. And stuff. I don't quite get into it, but so even if there's some gaps, you still don't get millions of years from humanity. You certainly uh, do. Is the challenge. So they, they have to do some telescoping, um, which is the next person mentioned isn't actually a son, but it's the guy who took over the family line from the, from the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's so those are kind of their their counter arguments. Um, if there's telescoping, there might be gaps um, in that. It's interesting we see um, in the genealogies the age is decreasing. Yeah, um, right. And that actually fits with degenerative evolution theory mm-hmm. really well. Um, J.C. Stanford in his book Genetic Entropy um, goes into that and shows the genetic decay curve fits the age degeneration curve um, for humanity, which is really interesting. Um, so there's actually some interesting genetic and biological science going on confirming actually the age decreasing um and also just the fact that the fossil record shows greater ancestors this is the other part of degenerative evolution theory is almost everything in the fossil record is bigger better and stronger and is is expressing optimal genetic expression the environment was different and creatures grew bigger better and stronger cattail reeds that are now you know a couple feet tall are 60 feet tall in the fossil record dragonflies three and I think that's also larger. going to account for when you were saying there was more biomass yeah, in yeah. the fossil record, things got bigger. We just know that. Yeah. The fossil record shows greater ancestors and much more plant and animal diversity. Mm-hmm. What we have alive on Earth today is probably about a fourth of all the creatures that have ever been alive. Um, so you see degeneration and extinction yeah. <laughs> happening. Yeah. Um, on a massive scale. This is not onward and upward. This yeah. is downward and... And less and less. <laughs> <laughs> we see speciation to extinction, not speciation to new kinds of creatures. Right. Um, so anyway, um, so the, the genealogies, what's interesting is there are extra biblical genealogies. And this is where I reference a book called After the Flood by Bill Cooper. Okay. I've only come across people trying to refute. Um, in his book, he talks about dinosaurs and ancient records of dinosaurs. And I've come across a, a Evo Wiki page trying to refute the dinosaur part of that. Yeah. But I haven't come across anybody really refuting the genealogies of the Brits, the Celts, and the Saxons that he goes into. These are cultures that didn't have contact with Israel or missionaries um, when they made these genealogies. The Saxon genealogies go back to Adam. The Brits and the Celts go back to Noah. 
and these genealogies um, are pretty close to the biblical time scale. Um, what's interesting is the Saxon genealogies actually are really close to the Septuagint genealogies. Um, the Masoretic genealogies, um, if taken without gaps, is about a 6,000-year timeline to present. The Septuagint is closer to about an 8,000-year timeline. Why the differences? Um, the Masoretic, um, so the Septuagint says he had his first son at 170. If you look at the Masoretic same passage, um, which is the Hebrew Old Testament versus Greek Old Testament, mm -hmm. it says he had him at 70. So it's cutting out 100 years here and there yep. of before he had his first son. So and the Masoretic is the one that said 170. No, that's the 70. Oh, the, that one's the 70. And yeah, then the and then the Septuagint, which is the Greek um, the translation, Greek translation has, of, has 170 when he had his first son. I guess I would tend to lend, lend so, credibility to the Masoretic text. Yeah, so the Masoretic has a, a shorter 6,000-inch year. That's where Usher got his stuff and, and mm -hmm. where like, Answers in Genesis comes down to on the 6,000. The Septuagint has about an 8,000. Um, and the the after the flood book the saxon genealogies echo the septuagint which is interesting um i found because because the the writer is going he's supporting the masoretic and he's like well these saxon guys must have got something wrong because their genealogy is an eight thousand year timeline and it's like hmm but that fits the septuagint interesting <laughs> so there's some interesting stuff in there you know it's still under that ten thousand year six to ten thousand year umbrella mm -hmm. which is why a lot of people say young earthers are six to ten Right, right. Um, so that's interesting um, for the genealogies. Um, and I haven't come across any refutations of after the floods genealogical work from the Brits, the Kells, and Saxons. I've looked for it. I've tried to find people refuting it, and I haven't found anybody um, refuting that. And if there are, write me at originsunited at gmail.com and let me know. Because I'm open to... Mind if I add something here? Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, something that I noticed, and I did a study on this uh, several years back in some other podcast series, but when you're looking at these genealogies, and, and, and you guys can look this up yourself, Genesis chapter 5, I think that then there's a, a, a gap in the gene genealogies, and not a gap in what we're talking about here, but you know, then it picks back up in Genesis 11, I think, and then it picks up a little bit later, but... Listen to this. It says, uh, And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And the days of Adam, the, the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enos. Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enos lived 90 years and begot Canaan. Why do I keep going like this? It on every single one of these people in the genealogy, it says how old they were when they had the son that we're now going to stake down and then look at their life and how long, how, how old they lived. And then it says how old they were when they had their son and how old that son lived when that son had their son. And so in other words, there's nowhere that you can actually push in a gap. There's nowhere where you can stick in extra time periods. Um, and that's a major problem for uh, those who are part of the theistic evolution movement that want to push time into the genealogies. There's really no way to do it. 
And that is my dog trying to go outside. <laughs> yeah. Podcast. Yeah. So what I've come across is, is they have to say there's gaps. They have to say there's telescoping. Um, but they don't find that in the text necessarily. It's, it's, it's derived from outside the text trying to, um, to, to bring to, you know, lay that onto the text saying, well, there must be telescoping, you know, and even with that, you don't get, um, billions of years. Correct. So, all right, guys, we're going to stop right here. And next week we'll pick up where we left off. Now I mentioned during the podcast, uh, David mentioned that, Hugh Ross has some arguments to the effect of that there are instances in the Bible where the word yom, you know, day or time, is used in conjunction with an ordinal, a number, um, where it didn't literally mean a day, okay? And I searched around on Hugh Ross's website quite a bit. I could not find it, but then I did some more Google searching and I found somebody who was actually sourcing Hugh Ross, but he didn't say uh, where or you know what website page or whatever that he saw this. But he did mention there is, as far as I can see, one scripture in the Bible where uh, the word yom, which is translated day in Genesis 1, that where that word yom is uh, in conjunction with uh, the word one. So one yom or one day, one time and where it actually doesn't literally mean a 24-hour period. And uh, this uh, particular website did cite this scripture. It was like uh, Zechariah, I think 1426 or something like that. Uh, That seems to be sticking in my mind. Whatever the case, uh, he did thankfully mention that uh, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati had a uh, a pretty in-depth response to that particular passage which I'm really curious to see. Unfortunately, it's in a book I don't have of Dr. Sarfati's. So I'll have to pick that book up. And uh, while I was reading through this this page, there were some really interesting arguments against uh, the young earth creation perspective and specifically um, addressing this word yom. And I wouldn't say that these arguments were were fairly persuasive, but I think they are arguments that need to be addressed. And so I can see where I'm going to be coming back to this subject at the very least momentarily. Maybe I'll have Dr. Sarfati on. There's plenty to talk to him about. Maybe I'll have him back on. And uh, somewhere in there, we'll spend about 15, 20 minutes addressing a lot of these arguments. Uh, because, yeah, they, they do sound, especially coming from somebody who speaks uh, as if they have authority and speaks with confidence. They do sound convincing at first. Uh, I immediately, as I was reading through them, several of the arguments, I thought, no, no, that's that's not going to work. But uh, I'll wait to give you a, a more thorough explanation here when we uh, have this interview that I'm hoping to have with somebody on this subject. So be that as it may, uh, we'll leave it at that. Next week, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off here today with David. And next week will be part three, the last part. After that, I've got a whole bunch of interviews lined out. I'm really excited. I mentioned in the past, for example, that I was going to have Sharam Hadian on the show. And that kind of fell through there for a while. But yes, uh, I met him in person and he has agreed once again. He, you know, he apologized. He was very busy and he is going to be coming on the show. 
Uh, so, and then I've got I've got a whole bunch of really interesting interviews coming up the road here, uh, already lined out. The the problem really now is who do I interview first and uh, which ones to put on online first. So, <laughs> I have more people who want to be on the podcast right now than I've ever had before. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks. Anyway, well, stop right there, and I love you guys. I'll see you next week. <laughs>